The skies were dark that first Easter morning when two women named Mary and their friend Salome got up and headed to Jesus' tomb. They didn't go empty-handed, but carried with them oils and spices to honor Jesus and, truth be told, to mask the stench of death that they expected to be coming from the tomb. It couldn't be easy, but they had had a day to rest and plan since they honored the Sabbath day from Friday night to Saturday night. They likely walked in the dark without a light. The moon after Passover is always big and bright, and Jerusalem is famous for its bright white limestone walls and foundation. Plus, they probably didn't want to draw attention to themselves, wandering through the night with a torch. Especially as they were heading to a place of tombs, which has all sorts of different understandings and meanings. It's a long enough trip that, they, uh, that though they get up and leave in the dark, by the time they get there, the sun is just starting to rise. It casts long shadows on the hillside rocks. They expected a large stone to be blocking the entrance, not necessarily perfectly round, as many of the illustrations would have you think, but rounded enough to be moved aside by several people working together. Instead, they get there and they find the stone already pushed aside. Now, what do you think they were thinking? I can picture one of them, maybe Salome, saying something like this. Did someone beat us here? Are some of the disciples already in the tomb? Is it grave robbers, Mary? I bet it's grave robbers looking to steal whatever trinkets people left with Jesus' body. Let's not go in. We can come back later. Mary? Mary, why are you going in? Let, let's, let's just come back later. Mary, come on. Fine, I guess we're going in. <laughs> As an aside, I've always pictured Salome talking like this. Um, and I'm not really entirely sure why, but I think maybe it's because her name means peace, and this seems very ironic uh, with that, uh, uh, that given name. So the women are inside the tomb. And while there is no body for them to anoint with their oils and spices, there is a young man in a white robe sitting at the right side of the tomb. We'll get back to this messenger in white in a moment, and instead focus on an odd detail. Maybe you pick this up. Tombs of the era were often carved into the limestone bedrock with depressions for the bodies to be placed in while they decomposed. And then a rough shelf, um, maybe about waist high, uh, cut into the rock. Now, a single tomb cut into the rock was meant to serve a whole family, not just an individual. The practice was to lay the body of a loved one into the depression, into these long depressions on the ground, uh, until the body decomposed and only the bones were left. Limestone is famous for dissolving flesh. That's part of why they made sarcophaguses with it. But around Jerusalem, they didn't need to do anything special. It was just the rock that was there. After the decomposition, those bones would either be moved reverently into an ossuary, a bone jar, if you will, or just placed directly on that shelf um, that was carved into the wall. All that to say, 
The reason that tombs weren't sealed up or covered over with dirt, as we often think of graves being today, is that then they needed to be accessed several times per person buried there, and there would be multiple people buried in the same place. Um, they usually weren't labeled with the names of the people buried there either because multiple people would go through, things would move around, it would be difficult to figure out who was who. Jesus's tomb, the Gospels tell us, was in the garden of Joseph of Arimathea. And Matthew, the Gospel writer, tells us that while it was uh, there, it was newly built, and no one had been buried in it yet. It was meant for Joseph's family, but no one had been buried there yet. So we come to this tomb with this young man in white sitting down. And my question that keeps popping up is, what is he sitting on? What is he sitting on in a tomb? It's rock floor, it's maybe a shelf. Is he sitting on the display shelf? Is he just taking a rest? Oh, you guys took forever to get here. I guess I'm just <laughs> going to take a rest. What is going on with this young man sitting down? This, this is a detail I think Mark includes to show that the tomb was unused, like we just said. Mark is saying, hey, he's sitting on this ossuary shelf. There's nothing on it that he would, it would be awkward to sit on a jar of bones if that were there. Here he is sitting, this tomb is unused. This seated messenger in a tomb tells these very shocked women I think I would be shocked to see this too. And he says, don't be startled. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, the crucified one. He got up. He isn't here. Look, that's where, we, uh, where they put him. Go tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he's off to Galilee. You'll see him there like he said. And then they flee, and this, that's all the messenger had to say. Hopefully he got up then too and got to leave the tomb at this point. Uh, the different Gospels, if you're not familiar with this, each of the four different Gospels has a different number of people who show up at the tomb, a different number of messengers or angels in the tomb. They're all different accounts. So this is the Markin account uh, that we're referring to today. And that's a lot to take in, especially early in the morning. All the preparations, all of the getting these spices and oils together that the Marys and Salome had planned, everything's out the window. Is it any wonder that they ran from the tomb? Mark tells us that they said nothing to anyone, and in the earliest manuscripts, that's the end of the Gospel of Mark. They said nothing to anyone. What? <laughs> how are we supposed to end this way? I mean, how would you feel if I just ended the sermon there? And they said nothing to anyone. Praise be to God. <laughs> Mark begins his gospel by saying, this is the good news. This, he coins the term gospel. And the good news ends with, they said nothing to anyone. I think, I think we're supposed to take this and say, ah, but we know about it. How did we hear about this? What happened? Well, the angel told the women to go to Galilee. Go to Galilee. And clearly, they must have told someone something, because here we are 2,000-some-odd years later, and we have some idea of who this Jesus guy was, is, will be, and we're still telling these stories, Christmas and Easter, and in between, too, and on both sides in between, between Christmas and Easter and Easter to Christmas. Early Christians had trouble with this ending point of the Gospel of Mark, too. 
Later groups actually added two different endings to this gospel so that it would make more sense and not just end with, and they said nothing to anyone ever the end. <laughs> they tried to connect it better with the other gospels. But what, what was the purpose of this ending if this is where Mark intended to end it? Well, the angel tells the women that Jesus got up. The Greek word means a, a change in position, not a change in state. It's a, like he got up in the morning and went to school. He got up, it's a weird preposition though, so it's, it's more like he was gotten up. It doesn't make sense in English. So we have he was raised, but he got up I think is fine. And this is the same word that you would use standing after sitting or like lifting a child up into a standing position after it fell down on its first wobbly steps. Jesus got up and is planning to meet the disciples in Galilee. Mark is, I think, assuming that if you've gotten this far into the gospel story, into his gospel story, and remember, he's the first to write one, so he gets to put everything together in the way that he sees fit, and he assumes this is the only one you've ever read, that you're starting to consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, too. If you've gotten this far, you're starting to consider yourself a disciple. Jesus plans to meet the disciples in Galilee, and you're a disciple. So, Mark is saying, go to Galilee. Go meet Jesus at home. Go meet Jesus in the world. Stop reading this gospel and go out and do as Jesus would have you do. Get up and go. Paul picks up this theme too, though he wrote his letter to the congregation in Colossia before Mark's gospel was written down. For Paul, since Jesus got up, you too should get up. You too should seek the godly and the goodly rather than the things that are temporary and earthy, earthly. This works both metaphorically and literally. Since Christ was raised from the dead and your life is in Christ, you too are raised from the dead. But this means that it isn't just about sometime later, but now. Christ is already risen, and so should you be. Now, Celtic Christians in Scotland and Ireland listened closely to Paul's words about seeking the above. That phrase gets me every time, seek the above. Unlike many in Europe, they understood Paul to be encouraging people not just to contemplate a far-off heaven, but to think about what it meant to see heaven in the here and now. Sometimes, in some places, the light of heaven shines through thin places in the world. Sometimes it's like the world's dark outline can just barely be seen through the light of heaven shining through these thin places in the world. In the love of family, when a friend calls you out of the blue at just the moment you needed to hear their voice, when the sunset moves you to praise the beauty of God's creation, when you stand up for truth, righteousness, and peace, against those who have embraced violence and worldly power instead of loving their neighbor. These are the thin places that the kingdom of heaven shines through. And the Celtic Christians would put crosses to mark these locations, 
And so there are still to this day Celtic crosses dotted throughout Ireland and Scotland, carved into the walls of caves, in the middle of the field, wherever this moment was experienced. Understand, though, that this doesn't mean that you will be without pain, suffering, or sin. We share in Christ's death, but we know that Christ can bear it. Christ bore the worst that humanity had to offer and suffers with us when we suffer, and we suffer with him. When we see the empty tomb on an early moonlit morning, or behold the empty cross, or set our minds to being alive in Christ, we see that our hope is in the resurrection, not as a past event that happened to Jesus alone, nor only a future hope for resurrection in the by and by, but a present hope, a present taste of living into the love of God. Arise, be like Jesus. Arise after having bowed your head for the season of Lent. Arise, go home and see that Jesus is already there. Arise, let the light of heaven shine like the moon and sun on your path. Arise, see the living God at work in our world. Arise, work together as the body of Christ. Arise, know that heaven is here, woven throughout all the world. Arise, may God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may you look to God, knowing that God is always with you. May you seek the risen Christ, serving him by rising to love your neighbor and yourself. And may the Holy Spirit fill you and bless you as you bless others, showing you that heaven is all around you and always has been and always will be. Amen.